Loving Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord. We come before an all-powerful, all-being, all-knowing God. And we bow the knee. What else can we do, Lord? You are a God that sees all things. You know all things. You know us so, so intimately. Father God, as we come before you now, Lord, Father God, I ask that you may help me just to convey what I believe that you have put on my heart, Lord. Lord, that you may give us all ears to hear. Help us to learn from your word evermore, to come under the submission of your word, Lord, and to know evermore of the implications of who you are in our lives. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. If we can please turn to the book of Genesis. And if we can turn to Genesis chapter 16. Where I hope that we will see something, pardon the pun, that we may not have seen before. Genesis chapter 16 and verse 1. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. Then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of of Canaan. He was approximately 85 at that point in time. So he went into Hagar and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. Then Sarai said to Abram, my wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace. And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between you and me. So Abraham said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Now, The angel of the Lord was found, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply. Notice that. I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child, and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael, which means the Lord hears. 
Because the Lord has heard your affliction. He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. El Roy. El Roy. You are the God who sees. For she said, I have also here seen him who sees me. Therefore the well was called, literally, the well of the one who lives and sees me. Beer Lahai Roy. Observe it is between Kadesh and Bared. May the Lord bless his word. And so we see here a time, a period. Where Hagar, Hagar is alone. She's frightened. She's been cast out. And yet, in her trial, God knew exactly where she was. He saw her every single move. And at that point, he came to her. He came to her as the angel of the Lord. A theophany, an image even of Jesus himself, pre-incarnation, coming to that woman by the well. He came, he'd seen every move of hers. He came to comfort her. He came To give her hope. And when God spoke in the middle of Hagar's distress, she stood amazed, did she not? In the profound truth that the God Most High, the God Almighty Himself, has His eyes directly upon even her. That God cared even about her. She was so amazed she called his name El Roy. You are the God that sees. The God that sees me. And she named the well Bilahai Roy. The well of the one that lives and sees me. And the truth is of course that is the same very same God The same God that saw Hagar sees every single one of us. He sees us all. He knows where we are. He knows what each and every one of us is experiencing. Even today. Even right now. He sees us all. And he cares so dearly about each and every one of us offering all he has himself that angel of the Lord even in the fullness of time offering his very self because he cares because he cares so dearly and he wants us does he not To understand that we are even the apple of his eye. So last time I spoke, I spoke on the omnipotence of God. God being all powerful. We spoke, we saw the very right hand of the Lord. The strength of God. Power to create. Power to save. Even a power to uphold us. None, not any, can be snatched from his hands. Today, I'd like us to focus on God as 
El Roy. The God omniscient. The God who sees and knows all things. Omni, of course, meaning all. Science, knowledge of. He has a knowledge of all things. And that's our definition of it. There is absolutely nothing that he doesn't know. Nothing exists outside of God's knowledge. This is who we serve. This is the great I am. Nothing exists outside of his knowledge. And he depends on no one outside of himself for any knowledge of anything. And so what I'd like us to see is four ways that the scripture demonstrates God's omniscience. We see it first of all in his very person. In the Greek, the Greek for God, generic, in its generic term, is the term or the word theos. It doesn't note and describe specifically the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. It's just a generic term. But it's interesting that the root of that word God is the one who sees. We use examples of it even in our very language. You know, we know the word theory, for example. It's that same root. It's how we view a certain subject, our opinion on a certain matter, a theory. But it's got the same root as the word theos, deity, God, a God who knows all things because of who he is. And so that concept of deity, it revolves around God's ability to see his whole creation. A whole creation, even in a single glance, with complete and utter detail of every aspect of it. That is God. And you know, Isaiah gives us a valuable piece of information about God's perfect knowledge. Let's turn to it now. Isaiah chapter 40. And here we read in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 13. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or, as his counsellor has taught him. With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? And taught him in the path? Of justice. Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And the answer is absolutely no one. God doesn't need to learn, He doesn't need to read, He doesn't need to study. He knows all just because He knows. It's intrinsically part of who he is. An omniscient, all-knowing God. He has knowledge of all. Past, present, future. That knowledge all resides perfectly and completely in him, in the eternal Now, God being outside of his creation, outside of that created time even, he knows all things and sees all things just as an open book. Psalm 50 verse 11 says, I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the fields is mine. You know, we can go a little bit further forward. In Psalm 
147, if you wish, to turn with me. Psalm 147. And we'll start at verse 2. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers together the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars even. He calls them all by name. Great is the Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. That is the Lord God we serve. His understanding is infinite. And he has a perfect plan. Even to gather the fullness of the Gentiles as the scriptures declare. And unite them with Israel. The one new man, Jew and Gentile, one in Messiah. And he knows the perfect number of that even. To God be the glory. It's why Hannah, when she prayed after the Lord had blessed her with a son, with a baby, Samuel, she prayed and gave thanks to the Lord, a God of knowledge. 1 Samuel 2 verse 3. And so that is the God that we serve. But we also see God's omniscience in his presence. Think about it. A God who is all present must know all things. And we see that. And we're going to read that a little bit later in Psalm 139. He is everywhere. But he doesn't see from afar. He is a God that is with us, close to us, beholding all that we do. And as Proverbs chapter 15 tells us, the eyes of the Lord are watching all things, both the good and the bad. All things. And that should help us to know where exactly we stand also before this all-knowing God. God is around us. He's before us, beneath us, above us, even in the lives of believers within us, guiding us, moving on our hearts. He is calling, is he not? Even the unbeliever, especially the unbeliever, calling all people to be reconciled to him, pulling, is he not, on their very heart strings. Come this day, choose whom you will serve. Choose life, not death. Choose light, not darkness. Goodness, not evil. He wants his creation to be reconciled, drawn to him. As Jesus said, did he not? Come all you who labor. And all who are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. That is what he wishes. He wishes to give us rest. His yoke is easy. And his burden is light. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. And he knows that directly. God, who is all present, must know all things. But you know, we can also see his omniscience in his very power. We worship, do we not? A sovereign God, a creator God, a creator God that created all things, so must know all things. 
But let's take it even further than that. Hebrews chapter 1 tells us that he also sustains all things. A God who creates, a God who sustains, must know all things. We go forward more. His omniscience is shown also through his very purposes. It's clear in the scriptures that the scriptures declare that God knows what will take place before in the space of time it actually does take place. He is God, as Isaiah tells us, and there is none like him, knowing the ends from the beginnings. And his counsel shall stand. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He knows all things. This is God. This is whom we serve. This is who we are to bow the knee to. We, as believers, are in such a blessed, such a privileged position. We trust, do we not, in the very word which gives us access, at least in part, to an omniscient God's mind. We can see what is going to take place Even before it's taken place. Through the very prophecies that we know of, that we read of in his word. That should encourage us. Especially as this day grows ever darker. You know, I was reading in preparation for this sermon. I was reading how there are Increasing numbers of theologians, Christian theologians, who believe in what is known as open theism. And it's an an understanding that the future has not yet been written. Well, that certainly is not what we read of in the scriptures. It's certainly not. We can see the ends from the beginning, even the blessed inheritance that is promised to all those who believe and trust in him. Look, it's going to get dark. It's going to get very dark. Wars, rumors of wars, trials, tribulations, Jesus himself says, and these will only be the beginnings. We need to know the God that we serve. We need to study what he has revealed, what he has given to us. And we we need to do so because we need, especially in these days ahead, To be rooted on solid ground. Because there is a shaking that is taking place. We see it from one side to the other side. We see it from east to west. We see it in universities. We see it out in the streets. We see it in churches. We see people no longer trusting in the God of the Bible. And we need to give an account. Here, what we have before us is the very hope. It is the very glory of God. His very word that he has given to all mankind. He wishes 
that none should perish, but all should come to a knowledge of Him. There is only one way, one narrow path, and His name is Jesus. The whole world are not children of God. The whole world are not children of God. We become adopted sons, daughters, only through reconciliation to him. It is the only way. If there could have been another way, God's only begotten would not of bread. I'm sure of that. God gave his only begotten to bleed. To bleed. To be poured out on Zion's hill for every one of our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed to the glory of God. Please turn with me to Psalm chapter 135. Verse 5. For I know that the Lord is great. And our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and in earth. In the seas and in all deep places. We see a sovereign God And you know, we're looking again at this purpose. We can jump a few verses forwards to verse 4. For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel for his special treasure. God's omniscience is entwined In his very purpose. And his purpose. We look today on a map. We look at that place. Right bang. In the center of a map of this world. And we see. Little Israel. And we see. Wars. We see. Brutality. Unlike. I can ever remember seeing. In my short life. Taking place. All around. That region. This week. I have seen things. That in one respect. I wish I had never seen. And it is just flowing now. It is flowing. Through the media. It is throwing and flowing. It is despicable. There is violence. There are atrocities. That it takes thinking about to even think about how that somebody could do that certain something to anybody. And yet it is taking place en masse. There is genocide. There are children being crucified. There are children being even beheaded. But nothing can happen in this world that is not 
part of God's eternal, perfect plan. Whether that is good or whether that is bad. All will be for the vindication of his name and his person. And in that, there should be comfort. But also, going forwards, we can look even unto the lives of those who believe and trust in him. Whatever situation, whatever circumstance they have found themselves in, that we might find ourselves in, and we may well find ourselves in. Ephesians 1.11 In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his good will. Romans 8.28 I think about that now. All things. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That he might be first born among many Brethren, he is calling. Ephesians goes on to speak of those who he's called, even from the foundations of the earth. And those whom have been called have been predestinated. However, let us take all scripture intention, because it also goes on to talk about Those who first trust in him. Remember, it's all circular. God's outside of time. He knows the beginning from the end. Those whom he foreknew. What did he foreknew? He foreknew that they would trust in him. And so, be predestinated. God doesn't say, right, some of you, You're going to heaven. Some of you, you're going to hell. Why? Just because I'm a sovereign God and I'm saying you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. We worship a God who is love. And he wishes that none should perish. That in the fullness of time, that they would receive the gospel. Listen, salvation is all of God. It can only be all of God. It's him who draws, is it not? It's him that works, that pulls on your heart. That then gives you the faith to believe. Having given you the faith to believe. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 takes you and plunges you, baptizes you into the very body of Christ. Then his spirit, he himself, seals you for all eternity. Being guaranteed a royal inheritance. That is God. But there is free will involved in that. This is the sovereign God whom we serve. He knows all things. And that is taken into account That is why we must preach the gospel. Choose this day whom you will serve. The gospel must go out. If you're not firing ammunition, at least carry the ammunition. Be useful. Be purposeful in your every single day. Give it all unto the Lord. Time is short. 
This is the God who we serve. And so, going back to Hagar, the implications of his omniscience with Hagar in mind. Elroy, you are the God who sees. I like the King James. Thou God seest me. Thou God seest me. That word implies absolute sight. Let's look at this now. Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thoughts are far off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. No one, absolutely no one, knows us like God knows us. Absolutely no one. He knows us better than we know ourselves. He sees all, both that's public and that's private. You will never know yourself like God knows you. His knowledge is perfect, verse 4. And there is not a word on my tongue but behold O Lord you know it all together every thought every imagination every word he knows them even before they came into our mind you know as I was preparing for this word I saw something beautiful and it was just so poignant it just spoke so perfectly I felt of the word which I believe the Lord wanted me to bring today. It was a picture of God's creation. It was a picture of his creation so beautiful that I wish to share it with you today. This is what is known as a glass-winged butterfly. You know, what we see here is transparency. We see the beauty of God's creation. We see the very power of God's creation. But he sees straight through it. Just as we today can see straight through this beautiful butterfly, God Almighty, God omniscient, sees straight through our every life. He knows us all so, so intimately. As I've said before, when my mother-in-law comes, I have to hoover the house. She says to me, Marek, you need to hoover under the bed. I'm like, why do I need to hoover under the bed? No one's going under the bed. The Lord sees under the bed. He sees every single corner of our lives. He knows them all. His knowledge of us is personal. Verse 5. You have hedged behind me and before me. And your hand has been laid upon me. Now obviously in this area of Manchester we see many Jews. And they wear of course the Amulka. And obviously many, many wear them just because of tradition. But there is an undergirding reason why the rabbis believe that they wear those Yarmulkes. Because they are to symbolize God's presence pressing 
down upon every aspect of their lives. That his hand is upon them. That his hand presses down and that he knows everything about them. You know, going back to Hagar, we see that woman at the spring. That woman at the well. And of course, it reminds me also of that time in John chapter 4 where Jesus speaks so directly into that Sumerian woman's life. And she said, this man, he's spoken so many things. Is this the Messiah? Is this him? As he said, I am he. I am he. He is the Messiah. And he looks perfectly into our lives. Just as he looked so perfectly, demonstrating an omniscience. He looked perfectly into her lives and saw where she was at. He saw the sin. He saw her history. He saw her trials, her tribulations, her distresses. Just as he sees each one of us. But he loves and he cares. His knowledge is persistent. Thou, God, seest me. It's present tense. Continuous. He sees and continues to see. He always has seen. As Jeremiah 23, verse 23 tells us, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God far off? Can anyone hide himself in secret places so that I should not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? You know, it should make us think. Think about our very lives before God. But you know, not just before God. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, it talks about our very purpose in life. It talks about a purpose, at least in part, to manifest the very wisdom of God to the powers and principalities in the heavenly realms. We are to be a witness to all people. A royal priesthood. That is what we have been called unto. Not just to God, but even to the angelic realm itself. We may do things when we think we are alone. But we may be by ourselves. But we are never, ever alone. Never alone. And it explains, does it not, why unregenerate man doesn't want an omniscient God. Let's have a look in Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Verse 8. They scoff. And speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against heavens. I like there's one translation which says their tongue struts. It struts. You know, I've spoken to people out on the streets. And you will witness to them. You will use the law to show them that they are a sinner. That they need a saviour. And they say, yeah, I probably do. I said, do you not realise? You're going to spend eternity in hell? 
Well, I'll deal with that when I get to it. Their tongues strut. Their tongue walks through the earth. Therefore, his people return here, and waters of a full cup are drained by them. And they say, How does God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? You see, they think that they can get away with anything. God doesn't know what we're doing. God knows all plans of what is taking place. The plans of those rulers in high places, just as he knows the plans of everybody sitting here in this room. And I take great comfort in God seeing that. Why? Because when we do see so, so much evil taking place throughout the world, there will be accountability. There will be justice. But you know, just as he will judge them, and we can all say, oh, praise the Lord. Yes, thank you, Lord, you're going to judge those wicked people. He will so judge us too. And that starts with each and every one of us. But praise God in Christ Jesus. We will not stand before that great white throne judgment seat. There is a terrifying prospect. Standing before that great white throne judgment seat. Brothers and sisters. We need to proclaim the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. He knows us all. As he said to Jeremiah, I knew you even in your mother's womb. But you know that knowledge, it's purposeful. God does what he does for a reason. His omniscience is purposeful. You know, even in Acts, Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter says of Jesus' crucifixion that while unregenerate man killed him, Jesus was crucified by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. God was responsible. Though the means he used was the free will of ungodly men. God's knowledge is intrinsically tied to his purpose. And it intersects so perfectly with human choice that only God could do that. Only a sovereign, all-knowing God could do that. It intersects with human choice in such a way that we have real choices to be made. Yet those choices will perfectly fulfill God's plan and accomplish his goals. And so in conclusion, how are we to respond? If sin is a problem and it is a problem for us all if there are specific sins that are a problem in our lives we need to lay them on the table to lay them on the table before a God who already knows but he wants us to come to him. He is trying to work something in us. He wants us to take responsibility for ourselves and take that step ourselves to bring our sins before him, not just to wallow in them, but know that something can be done about them. He has given us even his Holy Spirit to 
to help us stand, to give us the strength to stand in this day. He wants us to claim that forgiveness, 1 John 1, 9, and not to walk in it any longer. We are to be a royal priesthood, to hear from the very God who created us and to walk in his very plan and purpose. We all sin, we all fall short of God's glory. But he's made a way and he wants us to step forward in strength in that way by his grace. Thank you, God, that you know us so thoroughly, that he knows us and loves us so perfectly. No one, absolutely no one, could love you more. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's always there through the high times and through those low times. We are never alone. You know, if there are any situations that we feel we might have been misunderstood, that our motives have been misread, We need to forgive. We need to forgive. To put those things aside. To move on. To forgive. Don't harbour grudges. How much has he first forgiven us? How much? It cost everything. Who are we to hold grudges? Who are we? But dust, I stand before you. But dust. But I praise God that he has breathed his spirit of life into me. Just as he has breathed his life into every one of you. Now walk in that life. Walk in that truth. Walk as he wishes you to walk. Knowing that he knows all things. Remember that he is a God whose knowledge is infinite. He knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. And he is in full control of what's going on in this increasingly wicked world. Rest in the knowledge that even in chaos, he knows. He is on the throne and we worship an omniscient God. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. Amen.